On this week's episode, the Invisible Man reappears in theaters. Can Henry Cavill be super enough for Wolverine? And movie sequels we want to see now. I mean right now. All this and more as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here from Pop Culture Cosmos, the Lakers fast break, inside sports fantasy football, and game source. Thank you so much for listening to all of our great programs. But it wouldn't be a Pop Culture Cosmos without my good friend. He's our own Wolverine of Pop Culture Cosmos. You got to check out what he's doing today at popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. His great show, Topicocalypse. And of course, you got to get his awesome book, Congratulations, You Suck. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. What's up, man? Hey, 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 man. Just, uh, I am, I actually just finished watching, or I'm in the midst of watching Alter Carbon. I know we're going to talk about that, but I'm really excited about it. It's actually pretty good so far. Well, there you go. With those animanium claws you got going on there as our own version of Wolverine, we'll go ahead and talk a lot about what's coming up for the Netflix series Altered Carbon as it goes ahead and season two is now here. Anthony Mackie is now headed up as the lead role. So we'll talk about that coming up here in a bit. Speaking of Netflix, someone who stars in a major Netflix series, The Witcher, a.k.a. Henry Cavill, is being rumored as possibly being the next Wolverine. We'll talk about that concept. Is that something that we're good with? That's something that maybe we're not so good with coming up here and later in the episode as well. Plus, we're going to be talking about Baldur's Gate 3, which is an upcoming RTS from the folks that made the Divinity Original Sin series. So we're going to talk about to see if Baldur's Gate 3 really can bridge the gap between action and RTS gaming. And then also our good friend Daphne Matthew from the Walking Dead fan base and Talking the Dead 18 Plus, she comes on back to give us an update what's going on with The Walking Dead, the departure of Michonne coming up here in a little bit, plus a possible return for Maggie. So we're going to be talking about all those variables and more coming up here in a bit on the back end of the show when Daphne Matthew stops by later in the program. If you get a chance, listen to our last episode, The PC Multiverse. Josh and I had some Real down-to-earth talk about what's going on here. I mean, very topical program, which included a lot of talk about the coronavirus and how it will affect and how it is already affecting a lot of pop culture elements out there. So if you get a chance, please listen to our show. It's available right now on the Pop Culture Cosmos channel, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can always hear our shows each week, seven days a week on radio stations worldwide including our newest station, and we also want to give a big hello to Nova Star Entertainment. Well, my friend, before we go ahead and talk about all that great stuff that I just mentioned, I do want to give people an update at the box office and the Invisible Man from Universal Pictures. This was not exactly how they envisioned it a few years ago when they went ahead and released The Mummy and they were talking about the dark universe and tying everything all together between all these monster properties that they had. But you know what? This might be a better way to go about it because The Invisible Man earned top dollar at the box office 
earning close to $30 million domestically and about another $40 to $45 million worldwide, which for a movie that was only made for $7 million is a pretty nice pickup. And it looks like it might be headed to maybe about $100 million overall and even more than that worldwide when all is said and done. The reason why I say this might be a better approach by Universal is it is more cost-effective. It still had a hook that got in everybody, being that it was, an uh, I think, somebody relating into the optics. The guy involved, the, the individual involved that was the quote-unquote invisible man, he was a specialist in optics that faked his own death to go ahead and terrorize his ex-girlfriend and all that. So that's ba- pretty much the basis of the movie. And then he goes all wacko and you know it gets all creepy from there. But this might have been a better way to go than what they had planned three, four years ago. No, The Invisible Man doesn't tie into a dark universe per se as of this time, but this movie did prove to make a profit and will make a profit at the end. And if they continue to go this lower budget route, you never know, they could tie things together and the dark universe might not be so dead after all. Wait, did you say this only costs $7 million to make? Before any advertising. Yes. Production's about $7 million. And that is with the CGI effects that they added in there, obviously, to make him invisible and all that. And he was off screen all the whole time when he was interacting with other actors in the the motion capture suit. So it was a CGI effort, but they managed to keep the cost low. I applaud Universal Studios for doing it. And it looks like it was the right move because there looks like when all is said and done, they're going to make a nice tidy profit on this movie. Yeah, no, that's really cool. Well, I guess that kind of goes to show you that practical effects are still incredibly useful. So I imagine they kind of the he's probably had some kind of green screen suit going on, or they just you know they they rotoscoped objects in there somehow and had it go frame by frame. But that's really cool. I mean, it just goes to show you like how far you don't necessarily need like a huge uh, huge Hollywood budget to make something good. And like I don't, I honestly don't have any interest in seeing this movie, but. If it's doing that well and is that cheap to make, and it, like it, the the trailers look really good, so I mean, th- there's got to be something professional to it, and especially if people are enjoying it. It's got some good talent in it as well, so yeah, good for them. And you know, like you said about the the dark universe thing, do you think that they would make this the launching board? I would have to say that they would need another success story like this because you got to remember, not only do they have the Invisible Man property, they also have the Mummy. Dracula, Frankenstein, the Wolfman, you go on down the line like that. And the Wolfman or Frankenstein or anything that they come up with next, whatever they go ahead and build into today's environment, because they would have to adapt whatever it is they do next within today's environment. Whether, you know, even if it's another sequel to The Invisible Man, they obviously have to keep it within a current time frame. They still have to go ahead and make it somewhat relevant to today. And I think that if they do so and they find another success with, let's say, I don't know, let's throw out their uh, Bride of Frankenstein. Let's just let's just throw that one out there. Let's just say they come out with a Bride of Frankenstein and you know are able to successfully modernize it and for a low cost be able to have a success story with that. That could get the motor running again and get the speculation going again on a possible dark universe and tie all these properties together in the way that Universal was hoping just a few years back when Tom Cruise was coming out and with Russell Crowe in The Mummy, which unfortunately I sat through and 
you know, I can't get two hours of my life back. But you know, I, I just will say at this point in time, it's something that they should have done possibly in the first place. But at that time, what was it, 2015, 2016? I'm sorry. I think it was 2016 in that area, 2016, 2017. And everybody was really geared in Hollywood to try and create that next universe, that next chain of events, that next chain of movies that they could all tie in together. DC was so really you know, invested in doing so. And everybody else was trying to come up with a different kind of format that they could go ahead and tie these movies in together to build an overarching narrative because they saw the success that Marvel had with it. Could they do that now? There's a possibility with The Invisible Man, but they've got to keep the cost low because if they the costs start to rise again, then the risks of another mummy could even be more prominent if that's the case. But I think if they keep the cost low, there is always that, that possibility that they could get all these monsters ahead in the long run and tie them together in some form of dark universe type fashion. So I wouldn't put it out of the realm entirely, but from all indications of what went on in The Invisible Man, as of this point in time, there's no dark universe tie-in as of yet. But that's not something that I, I think Universal would rule out if they have a line of success stories with this, uh, I guess, the the monster creature type uh, format if they go ahead and, and follow to this format. If they go high budget again, then all bets are off again, my friend. We'll just have another situation with the mummy. Well, I almost feel like it's better to go in there not expecting to make a connected universe for anything and then seeing how it does on its own. And if it somehow works out that you can write a story that can easily backboard off of this one for another monster, then go ahead and do that. But every time, you know, even if you look at Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3, right, when they have all these different, they're trying to set up all these different properties because I know they've been talking for a while about doing a Venom movie. And uh, as long as they're and same thing with Amazing Spider-Man 2, they failed at this twice, but they, uh, you know, as long as you're if you're going in there with the intentions of setting up a like a cinematic universe, it doesn't always work out. Marvel got lucky and did it right. But then, you know, you look at these other movies and it feels too busy. That's what the mummy felt like is too busy. Why would he end up with Dr. Jekyll, you know, or Mr. Hyde or whatever Russell Crowe's character like there's a lot of things. They're just kind of forcing it down your throat instead of letting it develop organically. And if they were to use this movie as like a backboard and then have something, even just a reference, oh, the Invisible Man in so-and-so city, like that would be all they would need to connect the universe, right? If they were to make another, like a, a, a creature from the Black Lagoon or whatever, the mummy, you know, whatever tie-in they want to do, let it happen organically. Because they did put a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Mm -hmm. Hyde in there in the, the one with Tom Cruise, mm -hmm. but they also referenced Van Helsing too, if you remember correctly. So they also referenced him in the movie in that context. So you could literally have, I think the Van Helsing character, if you decided to tie him into all these loosely, very loosely as someone who's just like an investigative reporter or someone that's an investigator or something like that into the invisible man, all that and tie it in that way later on, you could do that. I think that would work. But it'd have to be very careful about doing it and not being as overt as you did it previously. Because when they force-fed you to try to go ahead in that dark universe, you and I, if you if you check out the pop culture cosmos from that time about the dark universe when you and I were, you and I were just like, oh, this was just well, a bad idea. Yeah, you know, here's the thing, and and you know, interrupt me if I if you think if your experience is different from mine, but like what I really 
I am a huge fan of the Brendan Fraser mummy movies. You know, the last, the third one was not excellent, but they were just fun popcorn flicks. You know, you could the first there. two were. I can agree with you. The first yeah. two were. So you could sit there and just like have a good time with it. And one of the cool things about one of the greatest things about that movie was just the place where it took place. Right. You know, being in Egypt, getting to dive into all the the Egyptian mythology and seeing all like the, you know, this is cursed and that is cursed type thing. Like you didn't get that in Tom Cruise's mummy. You got a a setting in London and then you have all these other things being forced down your throat. The scenery was not appealing at all like it just it felt too dark and too blurry like everything just was not uh it didn't feel good to watch no it didn't feel good at all and i was so over bloated i think there was just so much put on it and it just couldn't deliver because that was supposed to have been the backbone of this entire dark universe and you know unfortunately didn't materialize and it was just truly awful watching for the two hours that i saw it in the theaters and i i regret actually making the decision to go ahead and watch it in the theaters but yes it it kind of put everything and on the back burner for the dark universe in fact we just thought it was done we thought it was dead and you know it's probably still to it you know some extent it could be dead still i don't want to get people's hopes up on tying all the stuff in but if universal comes out let's say next year with a wolfman or a Dracula, or something in that realm of one of these monster properties that they have, and they do another low budget, let's say another $10, $15 million costing you know, movie that gets them another 50 to 100 to $150 million worldwide. Then you start seeing possibilities there that there is an interest, but it's very limited. So as long as you keep it within those limits, this could be something that could work out long-term for Universal. It's just how do you want to go about it? And it looks like after a few years, they're finally understanding how to go about and utilize these properties that they have when it concerns the monster movies from, from lore, from the 50s and whatnot. I mean, I'm just glad they're actually finding a good use for these properties. And the, with the success of The Invisible Man, let's hope Universal gets it right for, you know, at least if they don't do it, or even if they do do it, a possible dark universe down the road. What are your thoughts out there on the invisible man? Did you like him reappearing in theaters and did you check it out already? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. You're listening to the pop culture cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? You've heard others, but nothing could prepare you for the shameful stupidity that is the jock and nerd podcast. Witness the hubris as they claim to be the world's authority on comic book movies. Who said that? Never said that. We've never said that. Who cares? A jock said that. Comic book, TV, movie reviews, news, and whatever they choose. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Jock and Nerd Podcast. Seriously, people really listen to this. Uh, Jock and Nerd! Well, Josh, I wanted to ask you your thoughts on Altered Carbon Season 2. It came out recently on Netflix. I know it's something you were interested in. Season 1 was kind of hard for me to really get into, even though it had the similarities of a world that you and I were both very fond of in Blade Runner. So I want to hear your thoughts on Altered Carbon Season 2 as you started watching it. I know you're progressing through it at this point in time. Anthony Mackie is now the lead character in the role because of you know, the skin. You can really 
just change the actors. They're interchangeable as far as whoever you want in the lead role to get a new and different perspective. Anthony Mackie is leading the way this time around in Ultra Carbon. And let me ask you this. So far, are you liking what you're seeing? I am, yes. Anthony Mackie is, does a really good job of capturing, uh, I don't know, just the essence of, of Kovach, right, from the last season. He's very dark and very broody. And you think that going in, you know, hearing about Anthony Mackie playing this part, you, you think that, like, you go in after hearing about or seeing him play the Falcon and, like, the the roles where it's, like, he can be serious but doesn't ever take himself too seriously. Like, he does brooding really well. Like, he is, uh, I could see, honestly, like, he could play Batman. You know, that that might be people out there are going to be like, whoa, 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 let's slow down here. But he could play Batman. Like, he's very broody. He's very good at it. And, uh, you know, seeing him in this role has been kind of, like, shows the how dynamic he is as an actor because we only really get to see one side of him in those marvel films but in this like it's it it it, wow he's got some acting chops on him you know and as for the story they do a good job like it this is what star wars should do right take place two to three hundred years after the last movie and so that way you can kind of you can have you can tailor some create a new story the world can be the same but create a new story you know, while they carried Kovach over, uh, he's still chasing after um, uh, what's her name? The girl, remember his his love interest from the first. I forget season. her name offhand, but yeah, yeah I know who Fal- you're Falcon about. or something like that. But he's still chasing after her. She's in in this series, like she's in this season, and she's kind of running around. Um, I haven't really got to the the reasons why. I'm only like three episodes in, but the story's really good the acting is really good i i really i wish i had more to say but i need to watch more of it but i so far i like where it's going you know and it the story is is very dark you know that that whole idea of like if we had the ability to live forever does that give us the right to you know and what would you do with all that time and they kind of get into this idea that they didn't really discuss in the last one the fact that as these people are living forever and putting their their uh consciousness into another body and all that their their stacks and new sleeves they're a little bit of their mind is like chipping away each time until they're just much like uh you know poe the rope the uh the android not android what you know the his little robot friend his uh computer friend like much like their minds defragment so are people's do also which is kind of an interesting concept they didn't really talk about in the last season have you watched it yet you have any thoughts on it I only watched a little bit of it. Uh, you know, again, season one, I really couldn't get through because I just didn't find it captivating enough for me, which I maybe I'll go back and rewatch it, maybe get a better perspective on it. But now that I see Anthony Mackie, and you're right, he does the brooding thing very good in the uh, short amount of time I've watched it. And it's something that I think that I'll, I'll probably stick with more than what I did for season one, just because the fact he's doing such a great job with it. And it's just the behind the scenes stuff, as far as what you're seeing, as far as not only what you're looking at in front with what, what he's dealing with, but the interest that lies there with, with the world and what's going on. I, I was hoping for a more expansive world in season one. And I just wasn't getting it. Season two looks like it's more about defining what's going on within the environment outside of just what Anthony Mackie is is dealing with pers- on a personal level. So it to me, it's it's more captivating. So I'm looking forward to seeing more episodes. I'm a little bit behind you, so I got to catch up. I'm 
also watching other shows, including Amazon's Hunters and some other shows as well, Star Trek Picard. So I'm trying to make sure I keep up on all these programs that are streaming all over the place. So, it, you know, it is something, though, it's, that's on my list to go ahead and try and enjoy more out of when it comes to Ultra Carbon on Netflix. I know it's been a pretty good hit for Netflix. I'm not sure if they've greenlit for season three as of yet, but let me ask you this before we go ahead and touch on other subjects. With Alter Carbon, do you see a scenario where a season three is something that you would look forward to seeing? It depends on how this one ends. You know, if this ends and Kovacs' story comes to an end, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'd always be interested in returning to the world, but it would have to have a purpose. I know there's three books, and from what I understand, this one's based loosely on the second book. So I imagine there will be one more season, and then that will close off the the trilogy of books unless they try to you know, do a Harry Potter or something split into two. But I, I don't... It, it's How far would, would you be able to go in a world like this? Where does it all end? Does it end when they bring back permanent death? Or, or where does it go? You know, and it, it's that that's the big question here. And it, it, especially with sci-fi shows, you know, it took us so long to see a sequel to Blade Runner because I'm sure there's is probably they're having a hard time trying to figure out where is a worthy story for a world like this a world this bleak and a world this dark how do you how do you end something like that and still like make people interested in it excellent point i think it would have to go back to a permanent death type scenario because you could literally go season by season by season and that's the advantage that they have with ultra carbon since the basis of it is having the sleeves and you're just going to go ahead and you have you have so many reasons why you can continue on the series for season after season just put someone new into the role each and every time so they pop into a new sleeve so you have that advantage but the, if there is an endpoint i would probably say like you said it would probably be something where you know permanent death has to be on the horizon and that would be something that you could close out the series with when you go ahead and do that but when it comes to sequels we'll be talking about that in a sec but when it comes to Alter Carbon, I'll tell you what, it's something that I think that people ought to give a good chance to, especially with Anthony Mackie now in the role with Josh saying that he's very good. And I think he's been very good brooding as well. So if you're interested in Alter Carbon or if you gave it a chance before and you weren't really hanging with it like I did, go ahead and give season two another chance because I think you'll be glad you did. What are your thoughts out there on Altered Carbon? Are you really enjoying it? You think the sci-fi series is going to stick out long-term with a new person in the lead role each and every time? Do you like that concept, or are you looking for something more in your science fiction? Share us your thoughts, PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, PopCultureCosmos, Humanity Media, and GameSource on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Sequels, my friend. You just mentioned it when it concerns Blade Runner sequel, and obviously that was Blade Runner 2049 which we talk almost ad nauseum on the show. So this next subject, I was going to try and avoid, A, any talk of Mass Effect, any talk of Blade Runner, and any talk of Uncharted. So I was going to try to avoid that. But you know what? We're going to talk about movie sequels that we want now, right now. So I'll ask you, my friend. I'll start off with you. What is one movie that you want to go ahead and see a sequel to right now? Alita Battle Angel is my number one right now. I They left that open, you know, and there's, what, six six volumes of manga. I'd love to see more. 
they ended it on a on a good note, I would say. And I would love to see like where it goes next. You know, the that world felt so big and so vast and and there's so much like really cool mythology that they were kind of building up in the first film. And I'd love to see where it goes. What about yours though? What's your first one? Well, one movie that I have in mind, I mean, I, I heard, you know, recently that they are going to go ahead with the knives out too. And I thought knives out, if you haven't seen it yet, it's a great movie. Thought Rian Johnson has reaffirmed himself as a, as a good director with that, with that film. So it is worthy of all the praise that it got last year. So if you get a chance to check out Knives Out, because it really was good the first time around. But the first movie, I would go ahead and say that I think it really deserves a sequel that I would love to see right now is Mad Max Fury Road. And that was a movie that I felt bad after we talked about our list, our list of the best movies of the decade. And I left that out, and I can't believe I did. But I watched it the other day and I almost forgot how good it was because I've seen it a couple times now and it is really a great movie. And I think that it is definitely deserving of a sequel. Even though the Mad Max series, you could say it emanates from the Road Warrior many, many years ago and all that. I still think Mad Max Fury Road 2 would be an awesome place to continue the series and the Mad Max whole universe like that. I think they are going ahead with a Mad Max Fury Road sequel. I know it is well thought of as far as from a critical standpoint, being that is one of the best movies of the year at the time it came out. Plus also, like I said, it was should have been on our list. And it, I know for a fact it was on several best of the decade lists. So definitely Mad Max Fury Road is worthy of a sequel. And I can't wait to see what happens when they go ahead and bring it out because I know they're going to make a sequel for that one. What's next, my friend? My so, next film, I got Blade Runner. Like, I would love to see that. We, I know we we kind of beat that horse to death on here, but like, I would love to see that brought to an end. Like, give us the end of of Deckard and his his story. You know, did Ryan Gosling die in the end of the last Blade Runner? We don't know. Just it, bring that story to an end. Give us the closure that we need. And then go back to the Blade Runner universe again or don't. You know, it doesn't matter. Just bring it to an end. I want to see. And there was a revolution. If you remember, the there was a revolution. that they, they looked like they were about ready to start as well. Yeah. So there was they were opening a big, uh, big door. And I imagine they had they had plans for another sequel for it. I just love to see that that trilogy brought to it or, you know, see a trilogy of films that and the last one just wrap up the story. You know, give us like the Blade Runner 2049 was phenomenal and it had so much like philosophical and theological things to chew on. And like I could watch that movie over and over and over again. So just bring bring it to an end. Let me see what happens and then I can stop wondering about it. Yeah, because I don't want to hear about how it's not made money. La 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 la. It's been one of the best selling movies since it came out on video and digital. For a reason it's such a beautiful movie to watch i mean i think people were very intimidated at the runtime i think that that was a lot of overhype on that i think that's why it kept a lot of people away but to see it on so many best movies of the year list that it was on in 2017 it was our pick as the best movie of 2017 and it is something like i said i own personally on blu-ray and i know a lot of other people as well so yes i agree with you that there is still plenty of life in the blade runner universe 
And I would love to see a Blade Runner 2052 or something like that shortly after the events of 2049. That would be great to see and great to finalize a Blade Runner trilogy in that form or fashion. For me, Tron Legacy is the next one I would do. I mean, that was a beautiful movie to watch back in 2010. I think it held up very well against its predecessor, the original Tron. I know Disney's making a Tron ride out there in Disney World. I already saw the construction underway on it. They should go ahead and hopefully, as they kick off that ride, it would be awesome if they kick off another movie in the Tron series as a way to, you know, kickstart that ride as well. I mean, a lot of people that are going to go on that ride don't have any clue exactly about what's going on with the, with the world of Tron because the 2010 movie did okay, but it didn't do super outstanding. It was a beautiful film to watch, a great movie, I think, in fact, and I think it deserves another time in the Tron universe. Yes, I would love to go back to that world. I would love to see even like a like a Disney Plus show would be cool just to... They, they had set it up, right? The, the the programs were on their way of trying to escape the Nexus and Olivia Wilde's character got out and she was with Garrett Hedlund and they're like, you know, things are, big things are, are changing. And it has a, it was a good movie. It was visually pleasing. And it, I, I, maybe, I, I'm wondering if it's because the old Tron is like, it's like really old. It just does, it doesn't have the same visual quality. Blade Runner can get away with that just because of what kind of film it is. But if you go in and watch like the Tron from the 80s, like it, it is hard to watch. I get that. But then again, I mean, there's a reason why they're making a Tron ride because there is still interest in the Tron property. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, and I, I would love to see a sequel to Tron. There is an interest in the franchise and the property. I'm, I'm wondering if they're just going to reboot it one day and then see what it does from there. But like, it feels like if, if there are any time that was good for a, another Tron film, it would be right now. So what are your thoughts out there on movies that you would love to see a sequel now? And I mean right now. Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Well, coming up after the break, it's our good friend Daphne Matthew from Talking the Dead and the Walking Dead fan base. She's stopping by to talk about all the latest goings on in the world of The Walking Dead. And is there still life in this once dying series? We'll talk about that coming up right after the break. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Get ready for Box Art, a gaming docuseries from Pyre Productions and Rob McCallum Films. If you love video games, chances are there's a box cover or cover image that you love and has stuck with you for decades. In our series, Box Art, we travel across North America to visit with the unknown illustrators and artists responsible for creating the most iconic gaming images of all time. What was once scheduled to be a 90-minute documentary is now a six-episode season packed with unbelievable tales that paint a picture of the gaming industry you've never imagined. Just one of the many pop culture projects from Rob McCallum, Empire Productions. And we're back with the show. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. It is The Walking Dead coming right back at you once again with its mid-season premiere last weekend. It debuted a little bit higher as it was up 9% over the last episode, well, the first part of the season last year. So things are looking a little bit up for The Walking Dead. And here today to talk to me about all things Walking Dead is my good friend. She is the awesome administrator of the Walking Dead fan base and also Talking the Dead 18 Plus. You got to check out both groups today on Facebook because especially when it comes to the Walking Dead fan base, there are tens of thousands of people that you can communicate with and you can go ahead and interact with when it concerns the Walking Dead. 
And now that there's a slight interest again in The Walking Dead, dare I say it's cool to like The Walking Dead once again? She's here right now. It is Daphne Matthew. And Daphne, it's just so great to have you back on the program. It's great to be back. And it's definitely cool to watch The Walking Dead again. I know the last couple of seasons have been... I'm going to say since um, season seven, Glenn and Abraham's death kind of like put um, the show in a tailspin. But I think now, three seasons later, the show has gotten a lot better. I am going to admit bringing Angela Kang in as the showrunner has definitely done something positive to the group. I mean, to the show itself. Um, Losing Andrew Lincoln and... Chandler Riggs, the two main characters hurt last year. It definitely did hurt. But I think now this season, people are coming back to it because I think they're starting to hear through the grapevine that the story has gotten a lot better. I am totally in awe of the writing of the episodes that have aired so far. I mean, the premiere last Sunday was Awesome. I mean, only thing I can critique about it was that the cave part was very dark. But other than that, I mean, the the episode itself kept you on edge. Okay. I, I, can, I can actually complain about <laughs> something at the end, but, you know, I won't go there. This is a family-friendly show. I Are you talking about who, the, ne- the Negan and Alpha scene? The, um, how should I say, the the union, sort of speak, for lack of a better term, to try and keep it as PG as possible here. There was a union at the end of the show, and the only thing I say is for everybody out there thinking out there what the stench would be like as far as the smells and things of that nature. Think of it like this. If you've got a, a house with a room with dirty socks all over and dirty clothes all over that just sits there and sits there and you're kind of used to the funk and the smell, I guess that's the case. But my gosh, just imagining oh. that as you're seeing what's going on <laughs> gave me the shivers. Everybody is talking about that. I I, I thought it was hilarious. I I thought the ep- that part of the episode myself um, for myself was hilarious because having read the comics before the show came out, you knew it was going to happen. But the way they did it just made it all the more funnier to watch because they had the special suits. She had the mask on and Jeffrey Dean's Morgan wife, Hillary Burton, had a hilarious time about that scene on Twitter the night it aired. It, it was just hilarious. A lot of people, I, I heard there's an article out there that a lot of fans was offended by that particular scene. Why? It, 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 to me, it was hilarious because when you look at it, you know there's nothing there between the two. There's no chemistry whatsoever. And every time they did a close-up of Jay, uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan's face, it looked like he was going to bust out in laughter at any second. I mean, a lot of people put, they invest a lot into the show. They, I was just like, you know what? It was part of the show. It was part of the comics. And that's what it comes down to. It was part of the comics. So yeah. major moments in time in the comics are translated in some form or fashion onto the TV portion of The Walking Dead. So this is something that fans, as loyal as they are, or who are familiar with comic books, should have known it was coming. They knew it was coming. And the funny thing about it is, if you look past the present moment of that scene, 
if you looked at everything else that led up to that, what Negan did um, by revealing inadvertently that Gamma was the uh, spy, everything he's doing is leading up to, <laughs> I'm not going to give it away. It's leading up to something huge. If you haven't read the comics, you don't know it. And Well, you unless... know he's the master manipulator. You know that. Yeah. yeah Even when you it's... think he's at a point of weakness, like he is mm -hmm. right now, you know he's manipulating everything. And that's something I want to talk about as we get back into this season. Is I'm here. I'm ready for this season. <laughs> there is the prospect of how Carol is doing it. Carol is just all over the place. She's so far removed from the character she once was and was so tough in being even just a couple seasons ago. And she is more like the individual that she was at the beginning of the series. You've got her going through all these emotional trials and tribulations. You've got the situation going on with Michonne because her impending departure is on the, on the horizon. And then you've oh, also yeah. got, when does Maggie come back into the fray? So it's this kind of flux that the walking dead always has. Some of it's for the better, but sometimes it's not always for the best. Where Carol is going right now is a total shock to me. I didn't think they would put her, um, how should I say it, have her go back to the way she was um, in season four or earlier seasons. I, But I, I get it. I understand it. I mean, she found Henry, who was a, her adopted son, Pike. Mm, that would do something to a parent. The king didn't see it. She saw it for herself. So her revenge mode is in, but she's endangering a lot of people. And to that point, I don't totally blame her for the team going into the cave because they followed Daryl because he ran after her when um, she ran into the cave. I don't totally blame her for that, but she she's really is right now endangering a lot of people's lives. And, you know, I don't blame her, but I'm surprised that they're doing her character this way this season. Is there a reason for them do it, writing her this way right now? I don't know. Uh, um, I don't know where she's leading to. What What is her character going to be like the rest of this season? Um, I was a little bit shocked. I'm very shocked that she's kind of like um, reverted back to her old self. So I'm a little shocked with her. Now, what, what else did you talk about? The, well, uh, the Michelle. Michelle, Michelle. Michelle and Maggie, the two M's. The okay, Michelle. One's coming in. So I want your thoughts on how they're going to go ahead and take care of this because this is a major departure, but also um, a major reintroduction of a character and an actress it. who didn't find the greener pastures that she mm -hmm. was hoping for. So she's come back to the walking dead how is that going to be taken in and do you think the fans themselves will accept her truly coming back into the fray uh you know what i'm one of those people that is on the fence with maggie because maggie didn't to me even in the comics she didn't seem that big of a character i mean it's kind of like her story died when glenn died so it was like the last season and a half she was there she really didn't do much. I mean, she wanted Negan dead. Okay, we got that. We got her confrontation with Negan. But for me, it really wasn't a big deal that she left. 
And there, there are a lot of fans who think that way too. Now her coming back, it could be one or two things. It could be that they're going to close the chapter on Maggie and she's just coming back because they didn't want to do a Heath. When the character Heath left and never is never coming back, everybody knows he's never coming back. Or she could be coming back to the show to end the series. Because if anybody knows the comics, and the comics ended in July, they know that Maggie was the character that survived until the end of the comics. Um, now, since we only got a short period of time, Michonne, the big M, this is going to be hard. It's hard for uh, me because she's such a truly gifted and talented actress. I mean, obviously, she her career, as we've spoken about many times before, is skyrocketing at this point. Mm -hmm. And her, you know, whether or not she's going to be an integral part of the MCU or whatever she's doing, you know, she's you've talked about first the, the stuff that she's doing in the theater. But yes, yeah, she's a big player. She's going to be, she's got a big career in front of her. So it's not surprising she's leaving the show. Okay. So since our last conversation, major things have happened for tonight. She has a show on HBO that's coming out in the fall. She just signed a multi-year contract with ABCs to produce shows, create shows. So the question is, will she have time for The Walking Dead to come back? I don't think so. And maybe if she lives, maybe a one-off type deal or an appearance. Um, you know, I don't I, think I, she... I don't think she will return to the show. You think I, she'll I, be killed off? Okay. I'm going to break it down for you because a lot. Well, uh, I'm just saying the reason why I'm saying is because there's also the fact that a lot of <laughs> other people have speculated that she would go off in search of Rick Grimes. Now, this is the thing. This is the thing that I'm going to say that cannot, that is probably not possible is because of the scenes they've been shown in the promos. They have one scene with her holding something in her hand and she's crying. And I think AMC is playing on the fact that people forget things easily unless it's really important about The Walking Dead. They forgot that the current season of The Walking Dead is seven years after Rick blew up that bridge. So anything Michelle goes out and finds, if she finds anything at all, is seven years old. So, she may find his shirt. She may find a watch. She may find something that is proof that Rick survived the explosion on the bridge. But I don't believe she's going to be like they did with um, Dwight, like they did with Morgan, where she's just going to leave the show walk off and go look for Rick. I don't think it's going to happen that way. A lot of people are hoping it'll happen that way. A lot of people are hoping they reunite in the movies. The thing about the movies is, is that the movies are still up in the air. They don't have a director. They don't have a script. It's been nearly two years since the movies have been announced and they have nothing. So a lot of people are starting to speculate that the movies may not even happen now. The hardest thing they could do is to take a show that's been successful for so long and then make a movie out of it. It does, it works better the other way. Like, okay, for instance, Watchmen. That was a big movie in the late 90s. Um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan was in it. 
surprisingly, they made a show out of it 10 years later. That worked. It didn't work for a show like Veronica Mars, where it was on show, it was on TV for five seasons and they decided to make a movie. So I think they're starting to realize that making a movie based on an ongoing show is going to be pretty difficult. Uh, another show, MASH. MASH was a movie before it was a show. It lasted, oh, God, close to 20 seasons. So, you know, I'm saying that my theory on Michelle's departure, I know I'm going to get a lot of heat for this, is that she's going to die. And I'm going to say it this way. They revealed her final scenes um, in the EW interview that came out about a week ago. And they talked about her last scene. She's in a, I think she's with that dude, Virgil. And they are in a hospital or research facility. And she ends up having to fight. And they counted it 20 walkers to get out of there. They mentioned the way she dispatched them and blah, blah, blah. And then they talk about, and that was it. That's all they gave away. They only said about that scene with the walkers. I think they said it. They talked about that more so than anything else about her last episode, which is actually going to be episode 13, not 12, because what they did was they switched. They originally had her leave it in episode 12, but they switched it around because they wanted her to leave later in the series than originally planned. So we won't see her to episode 13. That's in three weeks. I think that she's going to get bit. I think that scene with her and Judith, with her talking a walkie-talkie and Judith crying in the walkie-talkie, is that she's telling Judith goodbye. Because if you think about it logically, there is no way this show or anybody in their right mind would write off a character as big as Michonne as to going to look for somebody who hasn't been around for six or seven years. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't add up. If you think about everything that's happened since Rick left, if you think about everything that's happened since then, it doesn't add up that she's just going to randomly go off and look for Rick. Um, I don't think she's that she would be that shallow of a character to leave her two kids behind to go look for somebody with the flimsy evidence that they're showing on the show. I just don't believe that. I believe she's going to get bit, and I believe that she's going to do an Andrea and Colin take herself out. And the reason why I say that is because there's been subtle hints there's been subtle hints that she will never return back to Alexandria or wherever they are now. And I do believe she's never going to make it back. So that's my theory on Michonne. When will Maggie return? Uh, she's going to return, I'm going to say, and I think I've heard about it, was the season finale. She's going to come back in the season finale at the end of the Whisperer War. Are a lot of people excited about it? I'm going to be honest with you from the boards that I manage, the Walking Dead fan base, which is nearly 60,000 people, there's not much talk about her return. 
a lot of people are like they don't care anymore because Maggie to them I mean she became a big character I'm gonna say but she's not that big of a deal anymore so we'll see what happens but um yeah I think she'll be back in the finale one little hint about the finale that I'm hearing through the rumor mill is people are not going to like the finale because it's going to end on a cliffhanger like season six. So that's what we have in the Walking Dead universe right now. The clock is ticking on um, Denai's departure. Going to miss her to death. I actually had the honor of meeting her in person at one of the Walker Stalker cons back in 2015. The show is doing much better than it has been. So Angela Kane is doing an awesome job with the writing. And nobody's complaining about lack of action on the show right now. Um, the only problem I think a lot of people had, like me, was with last week's episode that it was so dark. It was a very dark episode. It was very hard to see what was going on until it happened. Oh, the biggest thing of last week was the complaints about Jerry's almost demise. Him getting stuck in the cave. Yes, I saw that. Um, yeah, well. I know people, he's a beloved character. I know he's a beloved character. People didn't like to fake out that he survived. <laughs> so there you go. That's it for this week. I mean, we could touch base in three weeks after Michonne's episode, after I had a week to... Uh, have um, cleansing to get myself back to normal after she leaves because it's going to be tough. I think out of all the departures on the show, she's going to be a very hard one. Rick was hard. Carl was hard. A lot of the characters was hard, but I think because the actress herself has become such an iconic person, both on The Walking Dead and all the other things she has done during, you know, the MCU and all that, I think even going to be a bigger effect than anybody outside of Andrew Lincoln. So we'll see. We will see indeed. Once again, I'm talking mm -hmm. to Daphne Matthew from the Walking Dead fan base and also talking to Dead 18 Plus. And before we head on out, Daphne, can you tell us exactly what goes on with your awesome groups? Because I know what goes on there, but I want you to explain to everyone out there why they should be a part of Talking the Dead 18 Plus and the Walking Dead fan base. Well, the reason why you should be part of my groups is that we talk about the shows. We don't sit here and let just people talk about anything. We want to keep it real. We want to keep it show-based. Anything about the characters, even, you know, they're normalized. We post that stuff. We still have a lot of Norman Reedus fangirls, so we get a lot of posts about Norman Reedus, what he's doing. Talking the Dead that's the 18 plus group we actually do give out spoilers so if people want to sit there and want to know what happens on the, the upcoming episodes we do allow people to post spoilers in the walking dead fan base we don't allow that but we just strictly talk about the show we strictly talk about the characters we have we have very lively debates about the show so you know if you're one of those faint of heart people. Those groups may not be for you because we, we have had knocked down, drag out fights about, about um, The Walking Dead. And it's good because, you know what, we 
we can agree to disagree, but we do it all respectfully. So there's nobody sitting there trolling the groups or, you know, stalking people. We keep a very good um, eye out for that kind of activity. So everybody is welcome to join us. I do a weekly live event on the show during the broadcast of the episode so we could talk about the episodes in a chat. And we're also trying to start doing some other stuff, uh, movie nights, Walking Dead recaps, stuff like that. So these groups are very active. We're out there. Um, find us on Facebook and you're all welcome to join us. Once again, that's the Walking Dead fan base and Talking to Dead 18 Plus. You got to be part of both of those groups today on Facebook. Well, Daphne, you've been very cool as always. Next time you're on, we'll talk about Michonne's departure, but we should also touch on the future of The Walking Dead with The Walking Dead World Beyond and if there is going to be a fear of The Walking Dead and all that stuff going on for the future of The Walking Dead, we'll go ahead and touch upon on our next time around. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me as well. Thanks so much again. As always, Daphne, great to have you back on and glad that you're once again part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis. And we're back to close out the show. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Want to thank Daphne Matthew from the Walking Dead fan base and Talking the Dead 18 Plus for joining the show today. Always great to have her on the program. Remember, if you get a chance to listen to our shows all around the world being played on radio seven days a week, and of course, we're on every single major podcast format. And if you can, please go ahead and subscribe to our show. We Also as well, if you can, give us a five-star review. We truly appreciate that as well. Before we close out the show, my friend, we got to talk two more things. And the rumorville has started. You know, there's always a rumor going on when it comes to Marvel. Who wants to be in the Marvel movies? Who could be in the Marvel movies, et cetera, et cetera. Henry Cavill's name is the latest name to be dropped into a rumor of the Marvel Cinematic Universe that he could be playing the role of Wolverine. So I ask you, my friend, is this something you're interested in? Is you think it's the right move? You think it's super that this would happen? Let me know, man, about the possibility, which is, again, in the rumor stage of Henry Cavill possibly becoming the Wolverine. You know, I didn't think that it would be a good fit until like i saw people showing these photos of him remember he's totally jacked up on uh, man of steel and he's got the beard going and I'm, i sit there and thinking to myself you know what he could do it you know and I, I think about the gruff you know and the broodiness that he shows during the witcher it could do well you know and i know that dc is still there are rumblings of him still playing superman and you know him eventually returning to that role and it, to, to have him like play like that's a trifecta to have him be Superman and Wolverine and Ger Geralt of Rivia like he'd be a really busy man. And like I'm curious if his schedule would accommodate something of that magnitude, because I know The Witcher is it's a long show like it, the, the filming season on that's long. I think the last season is like, what, 13 months. 
you know the marvel film is like they're starting to film faster and faster now because they're they're pumping them out a lot faster but like i still to have him be part of the netflix universe the the uh, dc universe the mcu like that would be a busy schedule and i don't feel like he would be able to have all of that going for him or he might kind of exhaust himself first off i don't think he would sign on as a wolverine and stay as superman it's going to be either one or the other i would love to see him play wolverine you know and i would love to see him keep playing Geralt of rivia whoever plays it next it's got a lot to live up to and henry cavill playing that role I'm not sure can get it done. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm not going to say yes or no. Like, I think he would be cool in that role. I honestly can't. But that might just be because at the moment, I can't think of anybody else who would be any better. I'm not sure if Henry Cavill can be the guy to go ahead and try on the claws after Hugh Jackman. But again, we'll wait and see. It's only speculation and rumor at this point in time. Josh and I wanted to go ahead and discuss it to just throw it out there. Because that's the latest hot rumor for the MCU is that there's a possibility Henry Cavill could become the next Wolverine. What are your thoughts out there on Henry Cavill possibly being the next Wolverine? Do you think it's super or do you think it's not so super? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Well, it's been a great episode, my friend. I cannot thank you enough for being a part of it. But one last thing on the way out. I don't know how you're feeling about this, but Baldur's Gate 3 is coming out from the makers of Divinity Original Sin. They're developing the game, and they showed off a lot of gameplay footage at PAX East last week. So I want to ask you, my friend, it is an RTS-type adventure. There's still that stigma that RTS gaming has that people that are in the FPS or third-person shooters or things of that nature still have a hard time like me, getting into, because RTS has always been a tough deal for me to get into. Is Baldur's Gate 3 the answer to a lot of people's, I don't want to say wishes when it comes to combining action and RTS gaming, but is it a step in the right direction that will get a lot more gamers interested into a new form of RTS gaming? People always want to reinvent the franchise, but with these high world fantasy games, it's not so much about what the gameplay is like as it is the the world and the story it exists in. You know, the Baldur's Gate is an it's a franchise that's been around for a while, you know, and they've kind of gone through their paces. And I know they're trying to reinvent their gameplay right now. But, you know, as much as I love the old Gauntlet games, like they just don't hold up to today. You know, even like look at Final Fantasy games like they went from having this separate battle system to like an active battle system. Right. Like you're actually participating in it and it's almost like the the devil may cry style combat is what people want right now so does Baldur's gate using a hybrid system are they going to be able to reinvigorate themselves and get people interested in what they're doing possibly but i mean when it comes to these fantasy games is gameplay what people are after or is it the world and like the mechanics that the game offers i hope it bridges that gap between action gaming and real-time strategy that will create a fun environment for those wanting to play the game, wanting to get in that world of Baldur's Gate. And here's hoping that the success of Baldur's Gate 3 will create more of an interest in real-time strategy gaming. Well, it's been an awesome episode. On Friday, my friend, we're going onward because Onward comes out from Pixar to theaters. So definitely looking forward to that as the latest entry from Pixar hits the big screen. 
So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great 